The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Good morning. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. On the show this morning... From exotic plants to small trees, we look at how to maximise balconies and small garden spaces. Is your attic or shed bursting at the seams? We have solutions for all your storage problems in our weekend DIY project. From lost cottages to tree houses, we're showcasing the unique holiday homes available both at home and away. And Roisin Murphy will be answering your design dilemmas and asking what makes the perfect coffee table. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or tweet me at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts on the News Talk app, which is powered by GoLoud. Now, last week, uh, you might remember I interviewed the very lovely Keith Brimer Jones from the Great Pottery Throwdown. He was so passionate and engaged about pottery. Um, it's no surprise that Channel 4 chose him as the judge for their latest reality TV show. Actually, it's no surprise at all that they rigorously maintained the winning formula that made the Great British Bake Off so enduringly popular. And it got me thinking about that whole area of reality TV. I mean, it is everywhere. Every channel, every day, there's a cast of people baking cakes, dancing, singing, loving on an island, living in a jungle, finding a spouse, becoming an apprentice, all for viewers to love, loathe, keep or fire. And I'm just wondering, is there any skill left that hasn't been turned into a reality TV contest? If there is, I'm all ears. I actually, it's kind of my guilty pleasure. Um, I used to hate the whole idea of reality TV, but I must say I'm kind of glued to it now. And if you've seen them all, what skill would you like to see turned into a television series? And would you take part in it? Text me 53106 or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Uh, find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan and I will retweet your suggestions and who knows an executive producer may pick up on it. Uh, for the moment, you're very welcome along to the show. Now, you'll remember last week our resident architect, Roisin Murphy, was talking about window boxes and we got a great response from listeners asking about what they can grow in small spaces, especially with balconies and pots and all that. So we're going to look at that further uh, today with our good friend of the home show, TV gardening expert from theirishgardener.com, Peter Dowdle. Morning, Peter. You're welcome back to the home show. Good morning, Sinead, and thank you very much. How are you? Not too bad. What is it like down in Cork now, where you're based, or in Carrigaline? The, the sun always shines in Cork, Sinead. You know <laughs> yeah, oh, don't we know it, don't we know it. <laughs> it's All always right. gorgeous, yeah. Now, uh, what we wanted really to, to focus on, and do you know what it is? I, w- I was taken during COVID with all the, between the banana bread and the sourdough starters and all that, there was this absolute craze for potted plants. Some of them were going for more money than the French bulldogs, you know, the designer pets. And these variegated um, leaves seem to be a big thing. The big monsteras, the big cheese plants with the big, with the holes in it and all the different. And I thought we would look at what is involved in really being a plant parent, I think is the term for it. And some ideas that you might have if you have a small garden space or just a balcony or even just uh, just a pot to grow things in. So talk to me a little bit about what uh, is popular and maybe where people should start with that. 
everything seems popular at the moment. And I, I'm laughing as you talk about what happened with the demonstrators and things like that. And if you if you look, cast your mind back, now we can't cast our mind back, but in the history books, we'll see that only as recently as the 1700s, tulip bulbs were used as currency. I mean, tulip bulbs would sell for thousands, in, 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 in modern day terms, for thousands. It was the first uh, first and yeah, bubble and burst um, that that is recorded, the, the tulip bubble of the uh, 17th century. Isn't that right? With my with my financial hat on me there. Of course. <laughs> and and if you look then, if you fast forward to 2020, and it seems the whole world was sent home to go gardening, if you like. Um, and, and there was this huge growth in interest, pardon the pun. Uh, and I suppose one of the biggest, if not the only, positive to come out of the whole COVID scenario is people's deeper appreciation for for the green environment, if you like, for the great outdoors and for the importance of plants, mm. not just physically, obviously, they, they take carbon out of the environment and give us oxygen, but for our mental health, just to be working with them and touching the soil and touching plants. Uh, and I'm not surprised that you got such a great feedback to Roisin's piece recently, because I, I kind of think at this time of the year, it's innate within all of us, a switch goes off. And we want to get back outside into the great outdoors. We want to get back out into the garden, even if we're not gardeners, uh, just to get back outside. We've been cooped up. Uh, well, in this case, we've been cooped up for far too long, but we want to just get back outside. Uh, and what I would say to anybody who's looking at giving it a go is don't be scared. I mean, just don't be scared of planting something. You put a plant in a pot or in the ground and it will grow. And and small spaces, I mean, I've done God knows how many small spaces just to show the, the, the importance of them in terms of sustaining biodiversity in urban situations, but also in just, if, if you're living in an apartment and all you have is a balcony, by, by just doing something creative and green with that balcony, Wonderful. you well, just make such a nice home. What kind, I know people can be a little overwhelmed when they go into a garden centre, especially coming into the spring, and there's just so much choice. So give us some concrete examples of what would make a good easy to care for I suppose plant for a pot or a balcony or a small space like that Okay well in the first instance let me tell you that they're all easy to care for the most important thing when you're you're doing any working with any plant is water believe it or not now particularly if you're growing something in a pot or any kind of an artificial situation like that uh, you'll need they won't be they, they won't obviously be able to get water from from deep in the soil so you'll need to pay attention to watering them so what you could look at if you're looking for let's say a tree and you go to the garden centre, and as you say, you're you're bamboozled by hot choice. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is come home with a big chestnut tree, which needs 100 acres <laughs> to kind of show itself off, right? That's my but fear. If you, uh, but if you look and talk to garden centre people, us gardeners are a nice bunch, right? So if you talk to somebody in your local garden centre, they'll be only too happy to, to help. And if you look for something, there's a term called mini standard, as you know, and what that means is just the way a plant is grown. It's like, you know, if you can imagine the lollipop shape, the small lollipop trees you might mm. see outside front doors. So a mini standard is a plant that's grown on a stem to various different heights and the, the growth is maybe at a meter off a clear stem or something like that. And if you look for a mini standard tree, they'll grow in pots long term in your uh, apartment balcony. You look for something then uh, there's loads of tre trees and plants that have grown as many standards but look for something next that is going to sustain bees because not all plants are equal when it comes to helping bees pollinators and butterflies okay. things like this so maybe look for something like a mini standard viburnum which is a lovely white flowering uh, plant you could look for a mini standard a simple single rose I mean that as opposed to the big bubble hybrid teas because they're not great for the pollinators but a simple rose which is a beautiful beautiful mm. plant 
It'll be very good for pollinators and they'll give masses of colour and scent during the summer. And you could also, then, if you could even grow your own fruit in a balcony, an apartment balcony, Sinead, if you look for, again, you, you know, I won't bore you with the whole how it's done, but apple trees will vary in height depending on how they're grown. So some will maybe grow to 20 and more feet. But some, you can actually get apple trees that are grafted on a very dwarfing rootstock to keep them only at five and six foot and really? very, very easy to grow in pots. Good Lord. And would you get fruit from those? You absolutely would, yeah. Oh. You get quite a lot of fruit from them. So, yeah, so you could grow your own fruit. You could have your, your little mini standard viburnum and rose attracting the bees. They'll pollinate the fruit trees. Uh, and maybe underneath, uh, on, on the lower level, you could grow some perennial plants or even some summer bedding. So if the terms, even if those terms scare you off, don't. The perennial just means a plant that you put in a pot or into the ground and it can come on every year. Okay. You're looking at maybe the peony rose, dahlias, gladiolas, oh, begonias, these beautiful. kinds of things. Okay, well, that that's a great start. Okay, and look, I, you know, you're right. Do talk to these people. They are very, very expert at what they do. Uh, now, one of the things that took off uh, during uh, COVID, as I said, was this kind of, craze about strange exotic plants uh, that I, I don't know whether they can be all grown in Ireland and of course the thing is if you're buying something online you see a picture on Twitter or TikTok or something you say oh I, I have to have that uh, and it's all curated beautifully for the Insta don't you know um, so talk to me a little bit about what might be the dangers or, or is it okay to import plants from abroad are there problems with doing it or are there some that's just not going to do well in Ireland no matter what you do well, I suppose first of all, looking at the looking at the, the logistics of importing plants from abroad. So if you're if you're if you're buying online, let's say from a, from a, abroad within the EU, let's say, mm. or if you're away in the in on holiday somewhere in Europe, and you want to bring some plants back. Well, that's okay for personal consignment. For personal personal plants are okay to bring back. You may need to check with your airline that it's safe, but but most airlines are fine with that if they're in the hold uh, and legally provided the plant has. Believe it or not, plants are, are assigned a plant passport today. So. Provided your plant has that plant passport number on it, and if you're buying from a reputable garden centre or DIY store, they will have, uh, then you're fine to bring them back. Now, well, it's, that's different than, of course, if you're buying from the UK. So be careful, because if you're bringing a plant home from the UK, you will be stopped, it will be taken off, yeah, and it will just delay everything. And if you're buying online from the UK, just, just don't, because it, it, the, the amount of customs, I, I won't bore you with the story. Oh, listen, and and isn't everybody seeing that now, no matter what you're taking in, it's just best avoided uh, completely. Um, now, give me some yeah, examples, yeah. Peter, um, about things that you can, like something that's a little bit exotic. I did successfully grow for a couple of years a lemon tree. <laughs> I know <laughs> it wasn't much, by the way, of lemons on it, but it looked beautiful. And I adore orchids, cacti, that kind of thing. Are, are they all suitable for growing in Irish homes? In Irish homes, yes, Sinead, but uh, indoors. So your lemon tree will survive outside uh, during the spring and summer months. Now, it'll never fruit if you do that, but you would want to bring it in for the winter. And if you want to fruit, realistically, you'd have to keep it indoors in a nice, sunny, warm conservatory for 12 months of the year. Orchids, cacti, things like that. You could move them out for the, for a summer break for a few weeks, if you like, but they should be inside. Mm. But then plants that you can grow, they're like we're very lucky in Ireland because of the Gulf Stream. And we're even luckier, as always, down in Cork. We are that few, degrees, we've had few degrees warmer. And what we can grow down here, if you look at some of the gardens down in, in the southwest, like Garnish Island and gardens all over Kerry, um, 
there will be things growing that you you just look at enviously from up up in the north, like in Donegal. Like you can grow birds of paradise and things like that. Banana plants. So you won't get bananas out of them, but you can grow these quite successfully outdoors in Ireland. The Cousin Palm, the Phoenix Clariensis, all these are are are, are plants which again the names may mean nothing to you, but if you see them, you go, Oh god, yes, I'm used to seeing that on holidays. Wow. But they'll all grow, but but one year in ten, maybe. I mean, I'm obviously being being very general. Let's say one year in ten, you you would need to pay attention to an extra cold or an extra wet winter because it's the winter wet more than the cold in Ireland that tends to get at the plants. Uh, because we tend I not know. To, to get that cold. It's just the amount of moisture. So, so in terms of then, if you are going to bring in a, an exotic plant or try and grow something that's in a different climate, doing it indoors, a glass, sunshine. Um, I, I mean, do do they thrive? It depends on what it is. So if you can picture, let's say, the Bougainvillea, uh, Sinead, which yes, um, yes. even again, I know it's not full of name, but if you, you know that one that you'd see it if you're ever in Portugal well, or Spain. It's tumbling or over France, the terraces of your five-star hotel, beautiful exactly. pink, and really I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, folks. <laughs> you know, you're spot on, you're spot on, and really stunning over there. So you move it back here, and you know what? Yes, it will, with a small W as opposed to a capital W, it will survive here. But it will never look anything like as good as what over there. So it's all about that climate. And if you bring something back, I'd nearly grow the bougainvillea only as a conservatory plant. Yeah. Hibiscus to be the same. Few enough of them will do well over oh, here. Oh, beautiful will. scent, um, actually, isn't it? Um, and and you know, but it'll never look like it does in Hawaii. No, I know, I know. But sure, we'll we'll take a stab at it anyway. Now, Peter, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Well, you'll you'll find me anywhere on uh, a, a quick uh, a quick www search, and you'll see me uh, theirishgardener.com or the Irish Gardener on all the socials on on Facebook and Instagram. Wonderful. All right, a splash of colour there, and some great advice for anybody who is looking for uh, gardening uh, tips for the spring as we come in. Peter Dowdle of theirishgardener.com. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on the Home Show. A pleasure, Sinead. Thanks. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at DIY projects you can do in 48 hours. And this weekend, we're rolling up our sleeves and looking at how to organise attics and sheds and all that kind of thing. And who better to have with me than Alan Grant of Expert Hardware in Inchicore. Morning, Alan. Welcome Good along morning. to the show. Thanks for having me on, Um And uh, we've all been kind of crawling around in our attics now, putting away the Christmas decorations. They're all gone back into storage and everything's turfed back upstairs. Uh, I mean, I presume that's OK to do that? It is, but to make sure it's done in a, in a way that doesn't affect anything else, like insulating values of, of the attic itself. So when you're putting stuff in, up into the attic, a lot of people tend to just kind of, you know, you're wrapping up after Christmas, you want to get the stuff away. Throw it up throw is it up. what we exactly. would turf yeah. it as quickly as possible. Yeah, and what's happening then is a lot of people are, compa- are compacting all the insulation. And if you do that, it, it negates the insulating value. How do you so, do that? Oh, you mean just putting it on the... On the, the insulation across the, the rafters, yeah. Oh, that's not a good thing. N- not a good idea. So what you need to do is kind of get it up off that uh, you can do it with a piece of timber just kind of raise it up about six inches off the insulation oh, so you're not see. kind of flattening it down so when you flatten it down that's where the problem persists oh God I'm going to have to look yeah. at that now this yeah. weekend before I do <laughs> and, anything and else and also just to make sure that you put it down or put it into the attic so when you do need it again it's not a big kind of you know big project trying to find what you're looking for uh, Another place where people hoard things or put things away is the garden uh, shed 
well, I'm hoping you'll never have to look at mine. Um, it, but, but, but it's <laughs> it's a place where I have just banged in or my husband has banged in nails around the place and we're just hanging tools off it. I mean, that kind of counts for tidy in my house. Yeah, <laughs> is there like, a better thing I, I should I've be seen, doing? I've seen worse, so that is a good start. But like in my own shed, I have like uh, jam jars, the old school kind of screwed them up underneath the shelves so you can see all your screws and nuts and stuff like that. Ah, you see. Uh, another one I love terrible. is I have magnetic strips on my uh, the ceiling of the, the barn shed so all my screwdrivers are easy accessible I can see them I can go in and I can grab them in a second How very Blue Peter yeah. of you yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks quite impressive Is that easy yeah. to do now of itself? Uh, it is yeah so like these they're coming about 18 inches to 24 or 28 inches lengths uh, I've about six or eight of them up on the, the shed roof and just all the uh, screwdrivers wrenches and stuff like that are magnetised to the roof so if somebody wanted to do that this weekend, Alan, like how, how, what would be involved and, and how much would that cost to, to get that up? OK, for those strips, the strips are about uh, 12 a strip. And as I said, my own one, I have about six or seven of them up. Uh, and all you need is Phillips head screws. So it's like literally it's about 15, 20 minute fix once you have the You see, the and people have these in their kitchens, don't they? To hang yeah. the posh knives and all that kind of stuff. So actually it makes sense to do it in the shed and anything metal will just stick to it then, won't it? Essentially they're the same, but the, the ones for tools are just slightly more magnetised. Ah, yeah. Because yeah. a bit more weight in, in the products that are being held up on the walls or in my case in, in the ceiling of the shed. Okay. Now shelving is also a great um, storage facility in a shed because a lot of the stuff you're only using occasionally you know, I'm thinking about plant pots and fertilizer and, you know, gardening equipment and all that kind of thing. Keeping it off the ground is important because of the damp and, Absolutely, you know, yeah. and a shed isn't generally insulated. So give us a 30 second putting up a shelf masterclass. OK, just make sure you have the, the right number of brackets because some of the lower shelves will probably have a higher uh, weighted products like you say fertiliser and stuff like that and liquids and kind of fertilisers so just to make sure the brackets are fit for a purpose and to make sure the depth of the, the, the shelf itself mm. is quite deep enough okay. so a lot of the sheds you see it's quite a narrow shelf and the stuff is kind of half on and half yeah, off yeah, not a no, good idea because okay. especially okay. when it comes to chemicals they can slip off and burst and stuff Okay, cool, alright so strong brackets make sure they're the width of the shelves and um what, let loose with the old screw, the electric screwdriver? Yeah, <laughs> screwdriver, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just a screwdriver, a couple of Phillips head screws. And I said, once good quality uh, hinges and uh, just make sure the timber's nice and there. You make yeah. this sound so easy. And <laughs> in reality, I mean, that's going to take me the whole of the day to kind of just measure that up and the level and making sure everything's in the right place so you don't have a slopey shelf. <laughs> Look, once you give yourself the, the allotted time and if you've young kids and stuff like that, you want to make sure that, you know, you do have the free time and you're not yeah. going back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. And like the whole thing about a shed is to make sure that you, what you need, you can find it when you need it. Yeah. Okay, so like myself, I play golf very badly. My golf clubs tend to be in the way of things and, and golf carts and stuff like that. So just kind of organise. So the stuff that you need near the front that you exactly. use all the time and then the winter stuff or the summer stuff right at the back. All exactly. right. Okay, that's a great idea. Now, decking. Um, I am a big fan of decking. I love the look of it. Don't want to do anything with it except have nice pots on it and look at it. But actually, it is supposed to be... What, treated, steam cleaned, treated all of that every maintained. so often. So if it's a new deck, I, I wouldn't recommend to do anything in the first couple of months because you want to allow the timber to establish itself. Mm. Uh, and if people are famous of uh, steam cleaning constantly their deck. I wouldn't recommend uh, steam cleaning it in the first year or two. Uh, when it's a real problem, you want to steam clean the moss and stuff and the slippiness off it. That's the thing because yeah. you can some of those deck if they don't if they're not ridged, they can actually get very slippy. Very slippy, yeah. And like if you steam clean it too intensively, you're actually opening up the timber, and you don't want to do that. 
but there's good uh, deck reviving uh, products that you can buy. I would always go with clear. During the lockdown, it was a huge amount of people looking for like the, the grey deck reviver or the slate grey. Really? I'm oh. not a fan. Yeah. No, I'm not. Why do you think that was popular? I I, th- I think it was just kind of Instagram. It kind of popped up oh. a lot during the lockdown. <gasps> and sure, look, it has a lot to blame. Yeah, right, so... So that kind of grey, um, well, of course, we've grey gate on this show all the time, you know, yeah, because yeah. our mind people love it or hate it. Um, so do, so maybe not paint your deck or... or I, I wouldn't. I'd okay. stick to a clear deck oil, so I would. Okay. With the grey paint, uh, people are discovering now, bird poo kind of tends to be very, very noticeable on a grey deck. And how do you apply now deck oil properly? Deck oil, you can just paint it on or else you can use the, the deck sponges, which are very good, especially oh. the ones that have the, the crevices. Uh, okay. A lot of people are going for the, the flat decks. The flat decks are, are nice. Uh, the boards uh, and the cedar is very popular. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, how much would, would that kind of a deck treatment cost you, you know, ahead of the summer? Ahead of summer, about twenty two ninety nine and right up because there's different variations in quality. But you're talking about twenty two ninety nine to forty nine ninety nine per gallon. And how long will it last once it is treated then? Is that once a year or once every two years? I'd say like a good quality one should last four to five years, you know. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So if you actually went to it at the weekend, you, you'd have it done then for... For yeah, a long while. Four, four to five years. Yeah. Okay, because I find once you take the pots off, you have all these um, dampness and the kind of the, the, the discoloration. Yeah, and it. when it comes to pots, I, I'd raise them up off them. You can buy the the, the pot uh, on uh, pot holders on wheels oh, and stuff like that. Clever. So it allows the air to get underneath. So if you're left with moisture under a pot and staying there consistently, it's going to affect the wood as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming in with your 48-hour DIY projects. Plenty to keep busy people there uh, up in attics and out in the garden. Alan Grant from Expert Hardware in Inchicore. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Now, when COVID restrictions were eased, one of the first things that's on many people's lists of things to do is to book a holiday or at least begin the search for that special trip away. So we thought we'd look at some of the unique homes from home that you can holiday in. And to give us some inspiration, I'm joined by Joan Scales, editor of Travel2Ireland.ie. Joan, you're very welcome back to the studio. Good morning, Sinead. I have heard that a lot of people are kind of favouring homes like holiday homes rather than busy hotels, maybe with hundreds of people in them. So we asked you to go and have a look at maybe a couple of places in Ireland and a couple of places abroad that would be kind of a little bit different, uh, something a little bit unusual. So we're going for, and where best to start then? West Cork. West Cork. I've picked a few and West Cork, of course, is the most beautiful place. Um, Grove House. They have developed a number of properties on their site. But the ones that I thought are really charming, and this is thinking about couples, is that they have some tree houses. So they've built these, uh, they're eco-friendly tree houses. Uh, you do have all your catering facilities, so you can cook your romantic dinner there. And hot tubs as well. And it is very natural because these tree houses, folks, just to let you know, I mean, like, these are not now playhouses for kids that you might no, grow these, are, these, these are for romance. Posh. <laughs> these are top end. They are tree houses, but they're very accessible. They're in the middle of this beautiful wood um, and they have a hot tub in them. They have a proper kitchen, the beautiful, oh, yeah. you know, bedroom Got area, your, a decking. Your fridge for your bubbly You're and everything. Exactly. And they're beautiful. They're spacious. They're very, very big actually, these they are. ones, aren't yeah, no, they? No, they are. They're, they're not like the, the tree house your father built down the back when you were kids. <laughs> no. Nothing like it. These are these are the way to go. So 
Very, very stylish. And that's cottagesforcouples.ie. Now, the next one, um, if, if it's possible to go somewhere even more beautiful than West Cork, uh, down to Kerry. Yes, down to Kerry, down to Glenvay. And this again is, this was a family home that kind of was neglected and it wasn't used for a long time. And the people who owned it were living abroad. And then eventually they decided we'll go back, must do something with mm. it. So it's very much a traditional cottage with an extension. And what is it called? But it's called, um, this one is called The Lost Cottage. Okay. <laughs> and the reason why it's enough. called The Lost Cottage is it's in a, an area where there's hardly anything around except mountains and lakes and magnificent Kerry scenery. And so it's very remote. It's if you're into kind of hiking and getting out mm. in outdoors and doing outdoorsy kind of things, or if you just want to switch off. Yeah, a writer's retreat maybe it would work absolutely, as that, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But the scenery around it would absolutely inspire yeah. anyone. And of course, this is in part of Ireland's the International Dark Sky Reserve. It is, which is a. Fat, I mean, folks, if you if yeah, you well, are one, in one, one of, of the those few places, places in the world, you get a you get a light show every single night. Yeah, it's and absolutely I, extraordinary. I would picture myself now staying in the Lost Cottage, lying out on the deck at night, looking at the stars. The prices for that. Um, the prices for that is um, around a thousand a week. Okay, now if you want a little bit of heat and who doesn't um, you're taking us to Lanzarote, Lanzarote. one of my favourite places I must say and it's it's long long shed that image of Lanzarote hasn't it oh long since the cottage I've picked it's in a place called El Halibi and it's a cottage it was a former water tower because of course water was vital in mm-hmm. Lanzarote mm-hmm. they had to conserve water as much as possible it's stone built yeah so if you can imagine a big stone tower but there is a modern kitchen. It does have plumbing. It has an outdoor pool. Wonderful. And it has all the things what that you want. What more do you need? And about 1,100? About 1,100 a week. Okay, yeah. that's perfect. And that's, and that's with that's... Canary Rural. And then finally, one of my absolute favourite places on the planet, uh, Tuscany. Tuscany. In Italy. Oh, it's so beautiful. Isn't it just oh, it's gorgeous? It's just so and beautiful. the scenery and all, of the, all yeah. of the cities that are up there, if you want to, if that's your kind of thing. There's beautiful so cities. what have you picked for us in, I, in well, Tuscany? Well, what I've picked is, this is a company I know for many, many years. They're called Vintage Travel. They've been doing this for more than 30 years. Mm-hmm. Based in the UK, and originally they, they started on um, Tuscany. They they specialised in Tuscany. They have spread out to other countries mm. around Europe, but what they always do is they pick the unusual properties. Okay. So Tuscany is littered with mu- be- really beautiful um, farmhouses. Yeah. So a lot of the properties would have been farmhouses, and they're being transformed. So these these what would have been very rural, quite basic, some of them farmhouses now been upgraded to give you that kind of luxury experience you want. So you'll have your pools, you'll have beautiful terraces. Vineyards, of course. Vineyards, of mm. course. Outdoor kitchens. And you will also have peace and quiet because a lot are very remote. OK, that's you know, vintage travel. That's uh, vintage travel. All right. Listen, Joan, I, I am. You have whetted my appetite, along with the <laughs> listeners, for a trip away, whether it's in Ireland uh, at a staycation or abroad. And uh, thank you so much for coming in. I'm oh, delighted us to be here and I hope, uh, hope people will get away and try some of these gorgeous properties. I, I'm sure. Thanks yeah. very much. Thank you. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
right. That, of course, was Cold Cut featuring Yaz and the plastic population doctoring in the house. And why are we playing that? Because our doctor is in the house. Dr. Roisin Murphy. That's the fastest seven years of study I've ever done. That would be easy, easy, Dr. Murphy. (laughs) And you are our design doctor today. You know, on this show, we get loads of questions in all through the week and the month aimed at you for some advice and tips and all that kind of things. We've picked out a couple today. Our first question uh, comes from Kate. uh, And Kate has three kids and has completely outgrown the house. Uh, We've plans drawn up, but there's a few things we're not sure will work, she says, and we would love some advice on. There's mm-hmm. a proposed utility area but it's very tight and I wonder whether it would be better just to have tall storage covers instead of trying to squeeze in a room. Will it make the extension feel pokey? They need somewhere to store washers and dryers, the hoover, the mop, kids, coats, shoes, all that kind of stuff. And it's all currently in a narrow hallway making it very difficult to enter and exit the house. So this is about maximising storage, um, Roisin. And I think there's lots and lots of houses uh, and people facing the same dilemma. Yeah, OK. I had a good look at Kate's drawings and there was a number of things. I would suggest she's her instinct about the utility taking up too much space is correct. She would easily accommodate what she needs in terms of machines and stuff like that in high tall storage cupboards and it would look really, really good. In actual fact, it'll probably be better because she won't have all that space required to come into the room, then turn left into the room, then turn right. Sometimes you're better off with a high bank of storage. Mm. So I would, and tall, and it can be, you can you can do this so they can be panelled out so it just looks like a panelled out interior. Do you know what I mean? The part of panelling of the wall, it doesn't need to even, don't even need to see the doors. And the other thing I noticed on, on Kate's plans was she has what everybody does. In order to maximise space, you build tight up back against the back of the house, you put a lot of stuff in there and then you put a couple of skylights over that back mm. uh, extension, okay? Now, I would suggest, now I'm not quite sure of the orientation of this house, but what I would suggest is it will make it darker. So she, and it will make that playroom. She was talking because she has that perennial problem that, that that young parents have. And that is like, I have all these kids and I have all their toys. The kids were fine, but the toys. And what and to think, do with them? Well, there's two things I would say first off, immediately, is that kids play on the ground. And it sounds very funny, but like all of the storage solutions we tend to come up with are usually high up. So what I would say is a nice bank where she has her dining table, a lovely long low bank with drawer storage underneath it. Ah, so everything, yeah. Legos, jigsaws, and then the bigger toys like the the little tyke, which is the, probably think the most famous kids toy in the world, that little car that they all love. And um, that can stay outside because it is so good in the in the rain. Like, you know what I mean? It stays, I, mm. they, they will last a lifetime. They will outlive dinosaur fossils. So they can stay outside in a covered area in a playhouse. If you have a little playhouse or a shed, you paint it up and and use that for storage. But keep all the jigsaws, the Legos and stuff and the kids can tie and it's fun to tidy them away. Yeah, that's the the thing thing, because when it's the tidy up game at the end of the day, they can just pull out the baskets, throw in the stuff and actually even that kind of sorting out this is the Lego basket and this is the, you know, the Monopoly basket or whatever. There's two things I would say to her as she's built tight back up against that back wall and that is I'm not fond of that and and I think they've done you either glaze that completely wall-to-wall glazing if you really do need that space if it can't be a little internal courtyard or light well or alternatively 
you bring down the this light tube thing that I keep talking about because when you build up against that back room, it does become dark. No matter how many mm. skylights you mm. put in, it always and I they people say it, but it does really. And the Veluxes don't seem to really they they help, but they're not enough. So you either put a light bulb directly into the playroom from the attic room downstairs. Or alternatively, you leave a courtyard or or alternatively, you put the entire thing is a glazed courtyard and you just live with it. And it's an indoor outdoor space, which could be really nice, you know, when you open out into it. And that could be where all the little tykes and stuff are. You could put it in cork or, you know, you can have a little gravel piece that kids can play indoor Mm. outdoor and that kind of thing. Okay. All right. Mm. Well, Kate, I hope that is some inspiration for you uh, that you can get started on that. And I, you know, Roisin, you're the queen of storage. There's no doubt about it. Under benches and in baskets and all that kind of thing. And I tell you, don't, don't, like, do not bother your backside putting high storage up for kids because you'll be taking You'll be the one doing it. That's the thing. Up, down, up, down. and then there's school bags going there. We tend to think of school bags in the hall, but school bags, homework is done on the kitchen table generally or on the dining room table. So a bench close to there that you can sit on and then you can put the, the school bags in. It's perfect. Now, you got a query in on your own Instagram, Roisin Murphy Architect, um, about yes. radiators. Tell I us do, about I love that. this one. <laughs> I think it's Lucy is her name. And I was like, oh, hello. This is just, this is a fantastic problem. How do you paint? She had a photograph up close of her radiator and said, how do I paint the inside? And I thought, okay, right. this is the kind of detail that somebody who really is neat. <laughs> I, 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 I don't her. think like, I've, I have no idea if the inside of my radiators are painted. And I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't care. I don't care. I knew you were going to say that. But I, I tell you what I do think. I think it raises two issues. One, how to paint a radiator. But two, why did her plumber not put the grill that you usually find on top of a radiator on it? Where's the grill? Okay, so ask your plumber for the grill. Well, on top. I don't like those because they don't dissipate the heat properly. You end up, I, I just think they block heat actually rather than help it. They might look I nice, think... but you don't, you don't get the primary job yeah. done. Okay, well, there's two things she can do. She can ask for her grill to go and get that painted. She can paint it properly, in which case it is going to require probably, if she wants that kind of level of detail of painting, she's going to have to spray it. And that's going to be difficult. She'll have to spray down the inside of the radiator. And then alternatively, she could also, this is a really bold one to suggest, she could change the radiator. There are some really nice decorative radiators out there. Oh, they're really done in advance. No, get a new radiator. (laughs) I know it's a wild thing, but as a person, I recently got two Deval radiators, I think they were called, and they're in a kind of nickel. Oh, which is a neutral lovely. front. Yeah, and yeah, all yeah. I, I've never in my life ever done, I keep on going in and going, isn't that a lovely radiator? And make a design never, statement in, out yeah, of it. And okay. I've done it in people's houses all the time where I put in really fancy, nice radiators. But I'm like, they're going, oh gosh, that's, you know, a radiator is nice. And the other thing, I do like to paint them as well. Sometimes we might paint them on the show. A black or an Oxwood red where you, you paint them a funky colour. Don't match them necessarily to the colour oh, of the really? walls. Right, yeah, they okay. can look really cool. So they look like a piece of metal sculpture. And there you go. OK, well, listen, thank you for answering those questions. And folks, if you have any questions that you would like Roisin to answer, we'll be having another design clinic in a few weeks. Um, get them in and like Kate did, send in your photographs so that you can have a good old go at them and uh, come up with great solutions as ever on it. Uh, now, uh, you've probably grabbed yourself a cup of coffee during the break. I know I have. Uh, and we thought we would talk about a piece of furniture that I, I is making 
in a massive comeback routine because there wasn't a 1960s or 70s house that did not have a coffee table in the sitting room, the living room, the lounge, whatever that room is called in your house. Uh, and they would be kind of maybe pine, mahogany, you know, something in keeping with the time. But actually these days, they're tableaus for, you know, the coffee table book or the kind of candles and trays and all that kind of thing. Talk to me about coffee tables. A coffee table to me is a, a place, it, it is one of the most sustainable pieces of design you will find in the house in the sense that, as we were start talking earlier with Kate, it starts off for kids. They play Legos on it, they read books at a stair-sized table where they don't have to sit formally around a dinner table. Mm. So they're really handy. So if you're having a uh, family around and the bigger people, rather than having that kids' table thing, is that the kids can sit down low. And also they're really good fun for uh, different types of buffet food that you don't necessarily want to have that kind of all the chairs that people sit on sofas and stuff like that. So they're very handy. The thing as well is that they can be tucked off to the side of the 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 living room and if you get to say a large piece where you can actually even put a television on one side of one that, that like a coffee table can be is quite a good height for a television to sit on so you can use some part of it for furniture and some part of it for um, coffee, I suppose. And you can get, I've seen uh, ones that are kind of very stylish, probably after that hotel look where you get kind of a very large rectangular or square poof, um, you know, maybe the buttonhole one. And then that doubles up as a footstool, but yeah. also as a coffee table. Yeah, that's that is one of my favourite sign hacks, Sinead. Mm. That is absolutely an, a footstool with a lovely tray on it. I love it. Yeah. Really and nice. There's something elegant nice. about it, but also you yeah. can take it off then and, and so so you're multipurposing mm. it. Now, in terms of the height, Roisin, are we looking at the same level as the sofa? Because it is confusing to know, should it be higher than that for practicality if you're going to eat for a start or, or should it be the same height? slightly lower. No, I mean, it's not a dining table. It might be a place you put nuts and a drink, but it's not. So it's about knee height. The, the low eye line helps you make your space feel bigger. If you have something too tall in a room, I think it's one of the biggest things I say to people. Um, the lower it is, the bigger the space feels. Okay. So that's why it's a footstool or something low. If you had a big piece of furniture in there, it's just going to look like another dining room table. So no, low is nice. People do put books on them as well. You know, the kind of uh, like... The show-off books. books <laughs> show-off books. And also it's very nice for chess pieces. Say if you have one done that has got a chess board designed onto it or something yeah. like that. They are nice for things like that for playing board games. Indeed. But or actually, I, it's a nice idea to put, if you're yeah. using the tray idea to maybe ha if you have a jigsaw, if you're a jigsaw family yeah. and then people can add bits <laughs> to it yeah, as they come in exactly. you can take off the tray yeah. now yeah, any I'm, Irish designers um, working in this space at the moment Roisin that, that we like uh, there's, 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 there's loads there's Colin Harris there's Mode Furniture um, all of them will do bespoke people Colin, um, Simon O'Driscoll has always had a couple of nice um, coffee tables and also I have to say the other thing you can do is you can also go and get a repurposed piece of furniture mm. like the old mahogany tables are very popular are still there's loads of them knocking around and they did a good coffee table with the old claw and foot but the other thing you can do is I my coffee table is a four-legged very clunky now this sounds sacrilegious but I, it was an old kind of 19 I suppose a mid-century piece at the time, a mid-century dining table. It might have been a bit earlier, and a rosewood veneer, and what, but it was useless for sitting anybody over than four people. It had legs in the wrong places, so we cut the legs off, and it became wow. a coffee table. We put it down to the height, <laughs> and it extends out. Now this sounds mental, 
but it really works for me because if I bring it into the garden or if I had loads of kids at the party, you can extend out the table and it becomes a full length dining table, but it's low down. But child so size. you have this child size. So I'll tell you what it was great for, for kids' birthday parties. If you were having a tea party and you know, often had a birthday party and then she would do, she did the nail bar and stuff like that when she was very little, the table would come out and all the girls would be at the salon. Pink outside the box when it comes there's a lovely ikea one it was one of my favorite ones which is a metal storage one which is on wheels as well mm. so that's that's a really good one as well and it's casters and you can move around the table from the side of the couch into the front oh that's a brilliant so idea and do you know what options out kids there. love sitting on the floor it's their favorite place to be and to have something that's their height is just a, a, a fad, fabulous idea now you're not in studio this week roisin so instead of an object you have brought a building of the week what have you chosen yes uh, the Cathedral Church of St. Bridget in Kildare. To be honest with you now, what I find very interesting is this was probably originally done in wood. This was the site of her monastery, okay? And then it gets built over, the, it's, it's being built constantly and rebuilt uh, from about the 6th century AD. So it would have been a shrine first and then it would have been become more, you know, th- that's how they started in a way that mm. these communities built over them. And it's on a hill, so it overlooks the abbey. But now it's what's known as, um, I suppose, Irish Gothic architecture. Mm. And it's known to be a being. He, apparently, George Edmund Street from 1824 to 18, when he was responsible for the reconstruction, which was completed in 1896 after it was probably destroyed in a fire again. But what I love about this, because I've been in this one, I think we even recorded videos when we were kids in this, because in a way, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a Norman cathedral, and it's got a lovely basement. There's lots, but there's lots of stuff in there. There's actually a kind of a where we would have gone to a well as such. I don't know. There is a St. Bridge's well in the area, but I don't think there's a kind of a, a, a burrowed out piece in the grounds of the cathedral where when we were kids, we saw Sheila and the gigs down there. So the history of this cathedral has a lot going for it. You really feel all the periods of, of kind of from, say, when Bridget was there and the early um, settlement of the monastery there right through to when, I suppose, it was a, it's a Protestant church now. Do you really get, it's so beautiful and has a starkness and that cold, chilly vibe. It and does. A little round tower it as well. does. It and they have a round tower in the grounds. A round tower so in the grounds as well. So what's not to like? And it's on St. Bridget's Trail in Kildare and anybody can go along and have a look at that. KildareHeritage.com or indeed Megalithic Ireland. It's also on that website as well. Beautiful. uh, There is a tomb of Walter uh, Wellesley there as well and a a lovely name. But also there is a, um, what I would say is the kind of where it's placed in Kildare is really nice. I know it sounds really funny, but if you go up through the market square on a Thursday, you'll see that very classic Irish town where there's markets and then the, the, the gates into the church. It's got a lovely placement within the town. All right. Well, listen, uh, it is your hometown. You're not a bit biased, but that no, is absolutely a lovely place. No, I'm not a bit biased. That's right. Two objects in one objects. Me, the cross and the pavement. <laughs> All right. Well, we are delighted to have, have any uh, Kildare object and you in particular on the show at any time. And Roisin, uh, have a lovely week. We'll do it all again next week and um, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. And that is all we have time for on the show today. If you'd like to get in touch with us or you have a question or dilemma you'd like Roisin to solve uh, or a guest you'd like us to uh, to have on the show, well, please do get in touch. Uh, you can drop us a text at any time, 53106 for 30 cent or email the show at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast, which is on the Newstalk website. Thanks to the production team, Gareth Mulhall, Stephen McClume is on sound and Anton's up next. He'll be kickstarting your weekend with magician Keith Barry. Have a great Great weekend. See you all next week.